0: Today's reading includes selections from Revelation chapters 8 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Another angel with a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets made ready to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and they were hurled to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers, And on the springs of water, a third of the waters became bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light was darkened. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew in mid heaven, Woe, 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 to the other inhabitants of the earth, at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. From the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. The first woe has passed, There are still two woes to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who has the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels were released, who had been held ready for the hour, the day, the month, and the year to kill a third of humankind. By these three plagues, a third of humankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. The rest of humankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands or give up worshiping demons and idols. There was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming very soon. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. We give you thanks, Lord God Almighty, who are and who were, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath has come, and the time for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and all who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: I love the beginning of chapter eight in Revelation with this awesome scene of this angel with a censer, an incense censer, kind of like this one, but on a more heavenly scale. And so what really has come to life, this whole scene has come to life for me this week as I learned how to actually get one of these to, to go. Uh, it's actually a lot harder than, than it looks. Uh, you have to first take a burning coal and get it to the, just the right temperature and put it in there. This burning coal then, you have to put incense on top of it. And if you put too much incense on it, then it'll suffocate the, the coal and it won't burn. And if you put too little on it, it also will not burn or give off the smoke here. But I love the image of thinking about the prayers of the saints in Revelation. And the the prayers of the saints stoke up the hot coals. They're on the altar of God. And then, after that, we see an angel with tons of incense. So that gives you the scale of the the altar and the incense and the amount of coals needed. And he puts the, the incense on takes the coal, puts it in the censer, puts the incense on the coals, the burning hot coals of the saints' prayers, and purifies their prayers, and the smoke comes up, and it purifies it before God, making the prayers a pleasing aroma. I love to think about our prayers in that way, that our prayers, too, can stoke the fires and the coals that are on the altar of God, And that an angel takes them. That imagery is just beautiful. Adds incense to purify them. And the smoke comes up before God. What a beautiful image. Do you have some prayers that you feel like have come up before God? And as you can see, the smoke here uh, coming before and goes up and it dissipates. Do you have some prayers that you kind of feel have dissipated? Do you have some prayers that you offered up to God, and you're wondering, did they ever even make it? Where are those long-lost prayers? The ones we say, how long, Lord? How long? It can seem like those prayers were only answered with silence. And while we don't desire silence from God, God desires silence. With us. Now, in a noise-polluted world, it can be so difficult to find an island of silence. Yet it's essential to our spiritual lives to seek out some silence, no matter how busy we are. Silence is important for our spiritual health and well-being. And it shouldn't be shunned as doing nothing or a waste of time. Instead, we can befriend silence, and it can lead to further intimacy with God. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you might be surrounded by silence all the time. And then this, this silence can be deafening as well. And in this silence, it's important that we do things intentionally with the silence and still more, there's times where we avoid silence. Do you ever do that? Do you ever avoid silence? I know I do. I've done that before. Dietrich Bonhoeffer makes this really interesting uh, observation regarding silence. He says, We are so afraid of silence That we chase ourselves from one event to the next in order not to have to spend a moment alone with ourselves. In order not to have to look at ourselves in the mirror. Silence can help us gain a better perspective on ourselves. Especially when we are intentionally seeking silence with God. Journey Journeying into silence can be difficult. There's so much vying for our time, right? It can be hard to set aside the time to go into silence. It can be uncomfortable to be alone with our thoughts or lonely, especially if we're in a season where we're not feeling God's presence. This reminds me of my first year going into divinity school the weekend before our first midterm testing, the school mandated a retreat. It had already been a very disorienting time for me and my family. We had to adjust to a new culture when we moved from Seattle to Durham, North Carolina. We, I was beginning a rigorous program at Duke, and I was looking for a job. And this was a time where God was being very, very silent. And we were just wondering, is this all even going to work out? Everything had been a struggle up to this point, and nothing was coming easy. I didn't want to go to this retreat, honestly, but I had to. So when I showed up, they laid the ground rules. No phones, no technology. You have to stay on the premise and no talking. It was a silent retreat. I thought this was ridiculous. I'm leaving my family for a 24-hour period of time. I have all this in my mind that I have to do. Papers and getting ready for tests. I have all this going on world in mind and now I'm here stuck at a retreat and a silent retreat at that where I'm going to learn Nothing. So we all disperse across the the grounds and I'm like, "All right, I'm out of here. I'm going to go outside. So I get to the door and of course, it's raining. No problem. Throw up my hood and I'm off. So as I'm walking the grounds, I go by a beautiful vineyard and then I start going through a forest and while I'm in the forest, I come across this shack that doubled as a prayer chapel. And let me tell you, friends, it was spooky. It was like a nightmare had come to life. It was, a, <laughs> it was a haunted serial killer's home, and I was honestly really scared. However, I ventured, I looked inside, and it was as filthy and gross and scary on the inside as it was on the outside. I looked around, I see dust and cobwebs, and But then at the front or at the back of the shack, I see a kneeler. Against what I should have probably been, my gut instinct to do is to leave. But against that, those kneelers just called to me. And so I knelt down at the kneeler's, went into prayer, and I couldn't even control my mind. My mind was speaking. I was scared because I didn't know what was going on. I'm in this weird, scary, desolate place, uh, and it's dark out too, mind you. And I'm sitting here racking my brain trying to settle it down. I have all these things spinning around in my head. It takes about a half an hour before I'm able to come into God's presence and boy when I did though it was amazing it was as if God lifted up that shack and brought me up to heaven and there was an event like much like revelation going on it was just this amazing time of worship and prayer and as the time concluded I felt like God brought me back down to the earth I got up from the kneeler I started heading back and looked at my watch I had been there kneeling and praying for three and a half hours. It went by like nothing. I didn't even realize it because I was in this, such an amazing place in God's presence. God met me in this weird, unlikely place. And yet I felt so refreshed and rejuvenated after this. I felt a reorientation happen in my life in the silence. And best of all, I felt God was with me again. As we've been studying the book of Revelation the past few weeks, we have found that Revelation is a really noisy book, haven't we? We have witnessed magnificent worship, apocalyptic thunder, turmoil in the early church. There's been a lot of noise in images, words, and worship. The study of Revelation has been challenging us to dethrone the idols of our hearts, to not accommodate the culture at the compromise of faith, to rid our lives of the ideologies we serve, and to worship the one true Lord of all. The beauty and challenge of revelation stirs my heart and grips my mind. Last week, we ended at chapter seven with this exhilarating promise to the faithful multitude, promises that echo the language of the Old Testament prophets in Psalms. It stated, they will hunger and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of water of life. And God will wipe away every tear From their eyes. What a beautiful eschatological vision of salvation. And now here at the halfway mark of Revelation and our series, we get to see through all this noise and chaos taking place all around us, we are finally gifted with a moment of silence. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven. And this silence is like the silent expectation you get during a thunderstorm. You see a flash of lightning and you brace yourself because you know that boom of thunder is coming soon. So you brace yourself for that boom. And the same is true for Revelation 8. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal and there was silence in heaven... In this silence, heaven is bracing itself for the awesome power and judgment of God. This silence is important, and we will return to it. However, like Pastor Matt told us last week, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, they are all uh, parallel events with the opening of each seal the lamb reveals. The seals are symbolic of the preparation of God's intervention. Now, we will notice that the trumpets today and the bulls in a future sermon coming to you soon, there's seven angels that bring about God's judgments, punishments, and plagues. We move from revealing to action. The trumpets announcing God's judgment are significant because the call of the trumpet plays throughout the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, trumpets were used for a variety of purposes. Trumpets were used to assemble people together, to move tribes on their journeys, to sound the alarm for war, and to celebrate days of sacred feasts. And who could forget the seven priests with trumpets that led the armies of Israel around the city of Jericho? And those walls came tumbling down at the blast of the trumpets. The story of trumpets and Israel's histories are intertwined. And now in Revelation, we see it come full circle. Now as we look at the trumpets and the judgments that are brought after the blowing of each trumpet, we will find that the first trumpet, hail and fire mixed with blood, in uh, a third of the trees, grass, and everything is burned up. The second trumpet, a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. In the third trumpet, we see a star falling from heaven, and a third of the rivers and springs of water and uh, become bitter. And in the fourth trumpet, we see a third of the sun moon and stars was struck. So that one third of the light was darkened. And then we're interrupted after the fourth trumpet. And we see this eagle, or what would be better better interpreted as a vulture, circling. And what do birds of prey do when they circle? Well, they're looking down on their prey, on what they are going to destroy or eat. And so this vulture is calling out, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth. We saw with the first four trumpets that it, the environmental destruction and judgment that came from them. Now we are here at a stage and at a point. And though through these trumpets we all see this one third uh, fraction, right a third of the earth, and this third it shows the power and control of God and also god 's mercy, because only a third was shown or illustrated in these judgments. These trumpets they are notating with a, they are blowing with a sense of urgency, and so now we move from environmental destruction to judgments that are going to affect humankind. And so we go on to the fifth trumpet. It says, A star had fallen from heaven to earth, and a key was given to the shaft to the bottomless pit. From the shaft rose smoke, and the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they tortured people. Then the sixth trumpet is blown, and a third of humankind was killed. And here is the heartbreaking point, is that, each of these judgments on humanity and on the earth are a call to repentance. But we can see here, as we read, the rest of humankind who was not killed by these plagues did not repent. So after all this noise going on and all of the trumpets blowing, we finally get to opening of the seventh seal. And that there was silence in this beautiful liturgy with prayers being offered up to God. And we get the seventh trumpet finally as well. And the seventh trumpet, after all that noise again, outbreaks worship in heaven again. So, after all these judgments, I want to take a moment to talk about God's judgment. How does that hit your ear? God's judgment. It can make some people cringe, right? Now, I want to share something, this really interesting judicial action in the court system in North Carolina. It is called a prayer for judgment. Now, this allows traffic violators and some misdemeanors to plead guilty to their offense and then ask the judge. After pleading guilty and admitting their crime, their faults, right, they ask the judge for a prayer of judgment. They say, I'm guilty, now judge me. And if the judge grants this prayer of judgment, guess what? Their record is gone once that's granted. What an interesting spin on judgment. A prayer of judgment means that your record's clean, like it didn't even happen. I wonder if we were to reframe God's judgment in our minds if we thought of it as being acquitted instead of condemned as we look at the concept of God's judgment today. Let's keep this new lens of acquittal instead of being condemned and justice to view through God's judgment through. Now God's judgment with the Trumps and Revelation here, are not meant to predict a sequence of historical events or signs of the end of the world. However, this point is to evoke and to explore the meaning and symbolism of divine judgment, which is impending on a sinful world. There is a tension between a merciful God on one hand, and a God that holds sinful humanity accountable. And that's what makes God just. When talking about divine judgment, we often try to figure out, is it human sin or divine punishment? I don't think we need to make this decision, because it's clear that sin precedes judgment, and sin is not the will of God. Let's remember, God's goal through judgment is always eschatological salvation, where humanity realizes the reason for their existence as a reconciled people flourishing together in the presence of God. God's judgment is a call, a call to people for repentance. Like asking a judge for a prayer for judgment, God's judgment here is an act of mercy. As we read about these rich imagery of judgments being poured out upon the earth in plagues, disease, natural disasters, wars, it's easy to sum up divine judgment as God allowing these things to happen to punish these people and exert the pouring out of God's wrath. The symbolism in Revelation has been misinterpreted by some people who turn real natural disasters, and pandemics today into God's means of judgment. As I was preparing this week's sermon, I was reading aloud loud this sermon passage and reading about the judgments and the trumpets, right? As I'm reading it aloud, I see out of the corner of my eye my son James, and his eye is getting really big as I'm reading all this. And after I finish, he looks at me and says, Daddy? Why would God destroy God's own creation that he loves? This was a proud parent and pastor moment (laughs) right here when he said that. That my five-year-old son understands that God is not in the business of wrathfully and vengefully destroying something that God loves. The natural disaster symbolism in Revelation should be interpreted as God's finality and eradication of evil. Not literally how God is going to go about eradicating evil, but symbols of the extent to which God will go for God's creation to be eradicated from evil. As powerful as God is, God does not need to resort to literal violence and destruction to rid God's own creation of evil. With words, God created everything. And with words, God can even eradicate creation from evil without violence. And we will see this in Revelation 19. So when we read and talk about God's judgment, we should not be celebrating by thinking, Oh, those people who wronged me, they're going to get theirs in the end. No, the idea of judgment as God giving out punishment and reward for behavior is a flawed American ideal that has made itself into American Christianity. There's so much more going on in the Bible than God and God's people seeking revenge and all who have wronged them. Revelation's visions of judgment on evil should be understood as symbols rather than depictions of God's activity. We can see similarities in some of the judgments in Revelation that are taken out of the Old Testament. We have imagery from Egypt in the Exodus, Joel, Hosea, and Isaiah. The writer of Revelation is pulling from known stories of God's power to remind people how great and awesome and powerful God is. Let's remember, Christ is the powerful lion that chooses to rule like a lamb knowing we are reading about apocalyptic imagery and not actual events. We find justice at work because, as I've stated before, the empire brings about its own demise. We can, only, we can also read the judgment of destruction during the trumpet scenes as acts of mercy implied because only a partial rather than total destruction is happening. And these scenes are to bring about repentance in the slaughtered lamb, we see the lamb as a victim of imperial violence. Then, raised by God, we see God's life giving, nonviolent, counter Roman triumph. The lamb did not kill to seek revenge, but died for others. Divine judgment ensues only when people refuse to repent. The overarching message here is one of salvation, not destruction. And there's a deep sense of urgency implied in the trumpet scene. We should all be looking at the trumpet scene to illustrate how we should repent sooner than later. When it comes to divine judgment, we must remember judgment of the world and salvation is the responsibility and privilege of God alone. It's not the role of human beings. We have to remember evil and sin. is self-destructive and always inviting people into their own demise and destruction. The role of God's people is to invite others into God's judgment, witnessing to the fact that God's judgment is just, trustworthy, and merciful. Now as we return to the opening of the seventh seal, we notice that this opening is different than the other seals. When the first six seals were opened, the opening was immediately followed with a verb of seeing or hearing. The opening of the seventh seal leads to an event. The silence in heaven for about a half an hour. This silence is a time period of intense positive expectation of God's intervention. Just like the silence that occurred before creation in Genesis, there is here another silence before the new creation happens in Revelation. Sometimes I think we interpret silence as nothingness. In this text, we can certainly see that the 30 minutes of silence as inconsequential. We don't want to do that. A pause. We could also see it as a pause before the real action starts. Maybe even a way of building up suspense and intensity. But I like to think of silence more as a more than an empty pause. I like what Mark Del Cagliano, professor of theology at the University of St. Thomas, and a person who has lived as a Trappist monk for seven years says about silence. Silence is not simply the absence of noise and external distractions. But even more so, an interior silence, a profound calm, a deep peace, an inner tranquility that puts a person into God's presence, enabling them without any impediment to avoid all temptation and vice and sin, to cultivate virtue and the habit of love, and to rest the heart in God in communal prayer. That imagery of silence, placing us in God's presence. To rest the heart, to have deep peace and inner tranquility and continual prayer helps us to better understand this pause, this silence in Revelation, that it's more than a dramatic pause. This silence illustrates for us what it can be like to be in the presence of God. Basking in the peace and tranquility of God, of glory. That when everything else around us is a noisy gong, God's silent presence is what can offer us deep peace that we desperately need. That deep peace is what we are required to get into. Especially through hard times, dry seasons, wintry months where it can feel like God is far from us and removed from the daily happenings of our lives. In my life, I have encountered intense and great seasons of revival where it seems like every one of my prayers are being answered and I have seen God do amazing things. It's great to be in these seasons. As I've an individual trying my best to live the spirit-filled life, I've heard the voice of God and felt God's presence and hand upon me. However, I've also gone through intense seasons of complete silence from God. Wondering if God even cares or even hears my prayers. It feels like the umbrella of grace has been shifted off of me. And the elements are drenching me. And I'm soaked with the memories of what once was. These are difficult seasons. Have you ever experienced those? The seasons where it feels like God has abandoned you in your greatest moment of need? Or like God is just being silent and ignoring you? Or maybe you're just trying to trace the steps backward to a time when God constantly played the harp strings of your heart, but to find the tune of promise is fading away. These times and seasons are difficult. And, I hate to admit it, but the byproduct of these seasons can be great spiritual growth in us. This time of growth is not a consolation prize, but a time to gain a greater understanding of who God is and what God does. It was in a season of despair that I wrote a prayer. I found myself in a long season of silence from God. I felt my prayers were not being heard or acted upon by God at all. As a chaplain, I was just surrounded by what seemed like an endless line of hopeless situations. And people experiencing the same silence of God. And so I was going to write my prayer of dissatisfaction to God and step in and uh, for all the people who God was giving the silent treatment to. I set out to write pages upon pages of this prayer every single day before work in my morning quiet time. I was going to add to this prayer. And so over that month, I wrote this prayer. And I want to share it with you here today. It says... Dear God, you can't remain silent forever. You can only not be God for so long. That's it. From the depths and despair of my my entire being, that's all I could come up with. But that was okay. That's what spoke to me. That's the prayer that I spoke and prayed every single day for over a month. This prayer I spoke in every single tone imaginable. And I want to share it with you again today. God, you can't remain silent forever. You can only only not be God for so long. That's what I called my prayer of hope. So I don't know what you're going through right now, today. Or what you're feeling like. But please know. That God hears you. Like in our reading today at the beginning of Revelation 8, the prayers of the saints are always heard. But sometimes there is a pause before God takes action on your prayers. Don't be afraid of the silence, journey deeper into it with silent expectation. Your prayer is at the altar before God right now, being purified and heard. God will act. God will not remain silent forever. And God will accompany you through this silent pause. Let us pray together.